Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And joining me, as always, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, we just experienced our first preseason game on Thursday with the Hall of Fame game. Football is kind of sort of back. So how are you doing this fine uh, August day? I'm doing well. We had football, even if all the starters weren't playing and a number of the backups weren't playing, but it was in fact football and then haven't really had too many injuries to any players over these past couple of days in training camp. So at least that's been a nice positive that no one's getting too hurt recently. Yeah, it's always a positive. Hopefully uh, it stays that way. We know it never will, but um, we could at least be hopeful. But yeah, like you said, we we had the Hall of Fame game. Um, I mean, let's talk about it here. You got your write-up posted uh, up on the site pretty close to halftime of this one, I believe. What, what were what were some of the kind of key takeaways that, that you included in there? Uh, yeah, I was able to get roughly half of it done before the game even started with the number of people that weren't playing and announced weren't going to play. Um, One of the more notable things to me were the Jets running backs, um, Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight both didn't play, which typically when you see these veterans who aren't playing to start preseason games, they're players that are pretty assured to get roster spots. But with Dalvin Cook potentially going to the team, if he does show up, I'd expect at least one of those players to get cut. So it was a little surprising to me to see neither of them play. Um, Another player who didn't play, Jeremy Ruckert, a tight end for the Jets, a third-round pick last year, barely played his rookie season, so a little surprised he didn't play given his lack of experience during the games last year. But all the training camp pipe for him has been pretty positive so far this year. Uh, That coaching staff uh, has a history of using multiple tight ends, so good for Ruckert, but probably not good for Tyler Conklin's sleeper value at tight end. Uh, Then going to Cleveland, uh, really not too much there with how many people they didn't have playing. I would note Jerome Ford didn't play. Usually if a player like that isn't playing, that'd be a pretty positive note for him um, that he's resting. But I'd note that he also missed practice earlier in the week, which uh, Jakeem Grant, a wide receiver for them, also missed practice earlier in the week, also didn't play. So I think this is more a fact that they didn't they weren't practicing early in the week more so than this is a good side for Ford. Um, not that this is a bad side for Ford either. I just think this is not much to talk about rather than anything. And then I'd also note some of their uh, recent draft picks, Anthony Schwartz and Demetric Belton, they were decently low on the depth chart with how many people weren't playing and neither of them started the game either. So I would not be surprised to see either player or both players get cut once we get to cut down day. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And you've laid out all of this stuff in the article and it's for free on pff.com. If people didn't watch the Hall of Fame game, they can go check it out. And yeah, it was kind of interesting too, like the the Browns, um, the wide receivers, at least like you said, Donovan Peoples-Jones, he didn't play Amari Cooper and, and, and Elijah Moore, obviously, but Cedric Tillman played a third round rookie this year. So I, I do wonder if maybe we could see him kind of being someone that could emerge as like the Browns wide receiver three on the depth chart there. He certainly has the better draft capital than uh, people's Jones as well. So might be somebody to, to keep an eye on, but hopefully, you know, 
and and we will as more preseason games come in over the next couple of weeks or so we'll definitely have some more information and hopefully um, give us some hints of what to expect for these guys in season as well so it'll be fun as we kind of track this stuff uh, in the next few weeks or so but that's the first one out of the way plenty still to go so um, like we said for this episode we're going to go over uh, a couple pieces of news but we're actually going to be covering our fantasy draft strategies when it comes to the tight end position so we'll go through these guys in order of their ADP and, and figure out if they're kind of worth the bet at where they're being drafted or if we'd prefer other players and positions at those points in the draft. So I'm excited to get into it. Uh, tight end's always kind of a fun position to talk about, I think, anyways. But um, but quickly, before we do that, we want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, uh, Fabric by Gerber Life. As a parent, your child's well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in this world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right. So before we get into kind of the draft strategy stuff, we did have a couple pieces of news come in over uh, the, the last few days or so since we last recorded. The first one, probably the biggest one being that Alvin Kamara finally has a suspension assigned to him, and that is a three game suspension. Nate, I know for me, at least personally, I, I was expecting somewhere at four being the minimum. So this is this is, I guess, ideal for for somebody who is a Kamara manager. Um, what did you think about the the suspension for Kamara? Does this affect his his ADP at all, or um, uh, are you interested in him now with with this in mind? Sure, I agree with you. I also thought it was going to be in the four games to six games range, so I was a little surprised that it was three. I have adjusted my rankings accordingly, moving Kamara up a little bit, moving some of the other Saints running backs down a little bit. He's still probably not someone that I'm all that interested in uh, based on his ADP just because of how uh, he's played these past couple seasons in comparison to some of these other Saints players. I know a big part of trying to project out how well these players will do from a fantasy perspective is how the teams will use the players but also part of that projection has to be talent since you can know that a rookie is not going to play very much to start the year but he has the talent to get there at some point during the year and that's why you draft him so similarly at running back if you have a backup running back who you believe is more talented than the starter at this point in their careers then you're more likely to want to get that backup running back because you think there's a chance that he'll get more playing time as the year progresses so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Kamara is mostly the receiving back at some point this season and loses a number of his touches. 
And I think that makes sense, right? Like we saw last year, he just wasn't as efficient as a runner um, than, than, you know, what we'd expect from him and still really good as a receiver. And I, I think it makes sense that that would be the strength that they kind of play to with him in that offense and bringing in guys like Jamal Williams, um, drafting Kendra Miller as well at TCU. I think those guys are could be more capable running the ball, especially maybe early downs and, and um, at the goal line as well, which we saw Jamal Williams. It was a specialty of his last year. So yeah, Kamara still kind of more a little bit more interesting than he was at least prior to the suspension but you know knowing that the, a suspension was coming but I think it was on the low end of what our expectations were so at the very least it, it helps him a little bit but potentially more as, as a receiving back more than anything like you said so um one more piece of news again coming back to the Indianapolis Colts we touched on this last episode and, and I think even the episode before that we we're talking about Jonathan Taylor and his holdout and um, what the Colts might do there at running back and if they bring somebody in or will Taylor's um, holdout continue into the season well they, they brought in Kenyon Drake um, as a free agent to potentially fill that role if Jonathan Taylor doesn't stay with the team maybe he gets traded maybe something else happens um, what did you think about the Kenyon Drake addition for for Indianapolis I'll admit like half the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I had posted on the platform <laughs> formerly known as Twitter that the Colts could sign someone like Drake about five days before he actually signed and that was not any insider information. That was me just looking at the running backs who are available and who I thought would be a good fit in this Colts offense. Um, the Eagles last year and the Colts last year, both among the top teams in terms of how often they run inside zone plays. And now with the uh, Colts head coach being the Eagles' former offensive coordinator, that really shouldn't be too much of a change for the Colts offense. But Drake is someone who has played particularly well on inside zone plays in his career. And a lot of the other bigger name running backs who are available um, didn't fit as well with what the Colts like to do. So I thought Drake would be a good fit. I think in terms of fantasy purposes, if anything, this just more complicates their backup situation, um, makes it harder to pick a handcuff out of the group just because I could see Drake going anywhere from being their primary backup runner and third down back, or he could be cut as soon as Moss is available or as soon as Taylor ends his holdout. So um, I just would probably avoid all of these handcuffs and just don't draft them. And worst case scenario, if Taylor's not playing to start the year, just see what the team does week one. And then someone will probably be a waiver wire target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a decent kind of like hedge bet for them, right? If they are going to bring in a free agent running back, like not to bring in the most expensive one, Ezekiel Elliott or, or somebody like that, right? Kind of going towards maybe the the middle range of free agent running back in a Kenyon Drake in case, you know, things do end up working out with Jonathan Taylor and he does end up playing, right? It doesn't cost them as much if they have to um, let him go or, or they don't utilize him as much. So um, yeah, I, I like the signing for now. I mean, you know, we'll see how the, Taylor situation shakes out obviously but um could be something to make Kenyon Drake worth like a late round flyer as well if if uh if we're into that kind of thing but um we'll, we'll get into our tight end draft strategy here now and we'll kick things off right at the top of drafts with the only tight end going in the first round and and deservedly so he has finished as the tight end one in six of the past seven seasons and since his first tight end one finish in 2016 he's been drafted as a top two mostly number one uh tight end every season since then and he has yet to disappoint 
Uh, he's rocking the stash in camp and referring to himself as El Travador now. We'll see if that nickname catches on or not, but one name for sure with him that has caught on is tight end one. Travis Kelsey is almost always going as the sixth player off the board in one QB leagues, Nate. Um, sixth overall, is is this too rich for, for a tight end, even Kelsey, or, or are you happy to take him in that spot? fine with him in that spot a sleeper his ADP is at 5.3 so even at the fifth spot I think I'm okay with it um it's just a matter of who's picked ahead of him some of the running backs I still like so if Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler is falling then I'm probably happier to get one of those running backs than Kelsey um obviously if Kelsey falls beyond the sixth spot I'm happy with him uh for me it's just Kelsey probably isn't going to get any better than what we've seen, but he will be 34 by the end of the season. We typically don't trust wide receivers once they start hitting like 31 years of age. So he's already a couple years beyond when you expect a player of that caliber to start declining a little bit. So I could see that potentially being this year, there's obviously a chance Kelsey just continues to do what he's done. He did have a little bit of touchdown luck last year in terms of um, it was just uh, absolutely historic season for a tight end of how much they used him when they were within 10 yards of scoring. So we've never seen him, Kelsey, do that in previous years. So it's a little hard to predict that he'll continue to do that exact thing. I still think he's definitely the safest bet to be the overall tight end one. And I think it also really depends on the size of your league. Often when we're looking at ADP, we're looking at 12 team leagues. I think the smaller league you get, the earlier I'm okay drafting him. Like if you get down to an eight team league or something like that, then I'd be considering Kelsey first overall, just because it's a lot easier to find running backs and wide receivers to fill your starting lineup in those leagues. So it becomes a luxury pick to have Kelsey as your tight end, but it's a lot easier to afford that luxury in those smaller leagues where if you get up to like a 14 team league, a 16 team league, then I'm probably not drafting Kelsey fifth or sixth overall. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, a couple of things with Kelsey, Kelsey, and I'm I'm with you. I'm mostly okay with him going sixth overall as well. But like you said, at a certain point, it it does become a bit more of a risk. Like you said, he, he's going to be turning 34 years old during this season. So again, not the spring chicken that he once was, but at some point, you know, who, who knows if it's this year or not. And, and judging by how good he was last year, there, there aren't really any signs of decline just yet, but at some point it's going to come. Right. And that's kind of where the risk for me kind of start starts to creep in. If I'm on the clock at, at one Oh six, because it's only been um, the last three seasons that he's finished inside the top 10 fantasy scores across, you know, running back wide receiver, receiver tight end and never inside the top five uh, assuming no tight end premium or anything so so there isn't like a ton of wiggle room there when kind of considering like return on investment for him so that that's the one thing that that i would caution um that being said i mean like you said the positional advantage each week of having kelsey over whoever your opponent is rolling out at tight end is massive he's going to continue to be mahomes's top target in the passing game he's going to continue getting high-end looks in the red zone and end zone um those high school scoring areas of the field. It's just a matter of if he can continue, you know, to maybe be that matchup nightmare that he's been. And if he can overcome defenses, honing in on him, um, knowing that he isn't going to, you know, know it or them knowing that he is going to be the number one option in the passing game. So like I said, if last year's um, 
production is any indication, then he absolutely can and, and will be that that tight end one. Um, there's just that kind of gut feeling, I guess, that it, it's only going to grow each year that he might not be as safe an option from this point on that, that he used to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd add another risk is simply if Kansas City, once they have these big leads, start running the ball more up and then they have in the past. They are the most pass heavy team when they have a league in terms of just percentage of pass plays versus run plays. So part of Kelsey's appeal is that he's running so many more pass routes than any other tight end, even though he's getting taken off the field at times, more so on run plays than pass plays, but they're still taking him off the field at times. But just because Kansas City throws the ball so often is part of Kelsey's appeal as well, as well as being the highest graded tight end over these past couple of seasons. So there's also a chance that if Kansas City just starts to run the ball more, if they uh, trust Isaiah Pacheco more this season than they did in his rookie season when he was the seventh round pick, just running the ball more often will cut into Kelsey's production a little bit here and there. And that very well could keep him at the number one overall tight end. But the reason you're drafting him in the first round is because of how big of a gap there is between him and everyone else. And there's a chance that gap could get smaller this year. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right. If you don't land Kelsey in your draft, then the next option doesn't come until about round three or so. And honestly, can be anywhere in round three. I've seen him go early, middle, late third round. It, it just depends on who you're drafting with and where you're drafting. But ADPs tend to be a little less chalky as we get later in drafts. Just something to kind of keep in mind as we go through here. But Mark Andrews uh, of the Baltimore Ravens, the only man to usurp Travis Kelsey as the tight end one for a season in 2021. Is Andrews still the favorite to beat out Kelsey for tight end one this season, uh, in your opinion, Nate? Yeah, I think if any tight end can do it this year, it's Andrews. Um, I was looking at ESPN, Underdog, and Sleeper for ADPs going into this just to get a good sense of where people are getting drafted. And like you said, ESPN, he's late third round, Underdog, mid third down, third round, Sleeper, early third round. So third round's exactly the time to get him. Um, When you look at a lot of his rate stats, a decent number of his rate stats over the past two seasons have been better than Kelsey. It's just like I was saying, Kelsey has... um, the most pass heavy team where Andrews has been among the most run heavy teams with the Ravens. So that's been a huge part of him not performing as well in terms of fantasy production, just not having as many opportunities. Now with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator, Baltimore is supposed to be passing the ball a lot more. So I think that's the reason why I think Andrews has the best chances because he could be getting more volume. He's at an age where he should be around the peak of his career. So if he continues to play as well as he's played on a higher volume where Kelsey starts to regress a little bit and maybe not see as many pass plays, um, that's where the gap might get closer For me, the big thing is it's a round three pick and round three picks are a bit of a premium in terms of players still. That's when uh, Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow are going at quarterback, guys like Joe Mixon and Brees Hall at running back. Uh, DK Metcalf, T. Higgins, Devontae Smith are some of the options at wide receiver. So when comparing Andrews to some of those players versus waiting a little bit longer at tight end and getting one of these players, I'd rather wait a little bit longer, but I think Andrews definitely is a decent value at the third round, and I would certainly be comfortable drafting him compared to some of these other players if that's what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are like 
probably three tight ends who, who should probably be considered locks to lead their teams and targets this season. I mean, Kelsey obviously being number one and, and Andrews I think is absolutely second. I think there's a third um, who we'll get into in a bit, but there, you know, at least isn't a track record of, of, of that one yet because he's with a new team. But anyways, Andrews is, I, I think, and, and should continue to be Lamar's top target in the passing game. And, and that connection, I think, like you said, it's especially important. Um, and in the end zone too, where, where Andrews ranks second among all tight ends in target rate in the end zone since 2020 at 38.3%. So only George Kittle actually ranks higher. Um, this was pretty crucial for him when he did surpass Kelsey as tidy tight end one in, in 2021, because it was the only uh, year where, where Kelsey did not get as many targets in the end zone. It was like just 16%, something like that. Whereas Andrews hit up over 42% target rate in that area. Every other season, Kelsey was up over 25% target rate in the end zone. So even though they, they each had like nine receiving touchdowns on the year, Kelsey's opportunity to pull away with more of those end zone looks didn't allow him to reach the ceiling that we've become accustomed to uh, with him. So I, I don't know that it'll be end zone targets that separate the two again this year, but I think overall receiving volume, like you said, Andrew's being in the prime of his career, having those those strong efficiency metrics as well, like you mentioned, and then obviously getting Lamar back healthy is only going to help him close that gap a little bit. So I don't mind the third round ADP here. Just I don't think I would do it near the top of the third round that I'd spend the capital because I think, you know, asking for, again, that kind of return, return on investment of like top 25 ADP might be a lot. So middle to back end of the third is where I'll start to look at Andrews. Otherwise third, I'd rather go one of maybe like the tier one quarterbacks early on if I have that option there. Yeah, I know one of those quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, part of this is also if Jackson can just stay healthy this season. Jackson keeps missing a couple games each year, which doesn't help the Ravens offense in general. So if Jackson can stay healthy, that also helps put Andrews higher on this list. Yeah. All right. With the the chalk one and two tight ends off the board, now we start to get into some of the the other interesting candidates to potentially push for that 2023 tight end one uh, spot, or at the very least tight end two. Um, let's start in the fourth and fifth round of the draft. You're probably not seeing them go early fourth, but middle fourth and into the fifth again, depending on who you're drafting with and where um, has been pretty consistent this off season. And that is TJ Hawkinson of the Vikings and George Kittle of the 49ers are the next two guys in ADP to consider um, again, assuming you didn't go with maybe Kelsey or Andrews. Uh, Nate, do you have a preference here for which tight end you'd want to target in this um, range of drafts? I have Hawkinson ranked higher. I think Kittle's probably the better value compared to where he's getting picked but I think um, it's kind of how risk averse you want to be. I think Hawkinson's probably the safest pick. He's just consistently getting yards with the Vikings, getting catches with the Vikings. I think out of the top seven or so tight ends that you're drafting, he's probably the least talented of those seven. So I think he's probably has a lower chance of reaching tight end one overall, just because I don't think he's at the same talent level as Andrews or Kelsey or Kittle. But I think just with how the Vikings use him and a pass-heavy offense with a good quarterback, um, just that volume gets Hawkinson up there as being a fairly good value in this range. But I think Kittle is definitely interesting. I know we've talked about him before, and especially with uh, Brock Purdy at quarterback, that led to a lot more touchdowns for Kittle late last season. It led to more downfield passes, and Kittle's consistently ranked among the top 
uh, for fantasy tight ends and fantasy points per game. So if he can add touchdowns and deep passes to it, I think Kittle's also in that same ballpark of we've seen him grade as well as Travis Kelsey has graded in the past. So I think Kittle has the talent to be the overall tight end one. And I think with Purdy at quarterback, he can get there. It's just harder because the 49ers love to run the football, have so many other weapons in that offense that there is also a chance that it's other players in the offense that are having big weeks each and every week. And then that's hurting Kittle's production, even though he's a really talented player. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and honestly, that this is kind of like a weirder spot for me only because I, I've, I've most for the most part kind of avoided these two at least in this range not always but for the most part the, and and part of the reason is if you look at um you know the last three seasons looking at PPR scoring again we've seen fewer top 50 finishes from the tight end position overall amongst those skill positions um so there's only been nine total to reach the top 50 since 2020 so that's like an average of three per year um and then the three years prior to that we actually saw 14 tight ends total finish inside the top 50 so it was closer to five per year so naturally this means more running backs and wide receivers have tended to finish a little bit higher in recent seasons and that that's kind of the feeling i get with, with these two tight ends as much as i like them as talents. I, I think there are just more options at, at running back and wide receiver where I, that I'd want to target here before those positions really kind of start to dry out. Um, while I think there are probably some other strong tight end candidates who could post close to similar production um, with a chance to even exceed these guys going later. And, and in my opinion, make them kind of better values later on. So not to say don't draft these guys because, you know, everything depends on how the board falls to you and, and your preferred roster build and all of that. But personally, just what I, like I said, I've ended up missing out on, on both of these guys almost, almost every time because I'm attacking kind of other positions in this range and know that there are at least three other tight ends who could, who go later that I like um, nearly as much, if not more, some of them. There. Part of this for me is also depending on where you end up picking since there could be a chance that those I really want to get one of these top seven tight ends and there's a chance that those three kind of go close to each other within the draft. So if you don't draft either of these and then miss out on the next three, I think that's pretty difficult to deal mm -hmm. with once you're in that situation. So I've tended to try getting uh, particularly Kittle if it's late in the fourth round or early in the fifth round, if I'm drafting in that range of the draft, uh, just because then I don't have to worry about potentially losing out on the other three tight ends when I, Kittle's available for me there where other running backs and particularly wide receivers, you see a number of wide receivers that for me are in a similar tier that are available now, but some of them are also available in the next round or the round after that. So that's partially why I'm more okay getting a tight end here when I think there's just a ton of wide receivers with high upside that you can get a number of them. So if you can get one of them and wait to get one of them and ensure that you can get one of these top seven tight ends, that's where I'm more likely to pull the trigger on one of these two. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And it's such a good reason to kind of stick to the rankings too, right? Your, whatever rankings you prefer and, and kind of get a feel of who might still be there later on and um, where you're starting to see the value kind of fall and stuff like that. So um, also a good reason to check out the PFF fantasy mock draft tool as well and play around with it to see kind of where these guys go and, and who you might get at certain draft spots as well. So um, 
All right, before we go any further, I do want to shout out one more of our sponsors. Uh, the good folks over at DraftKings want to get in on the fantasy action, but sick of managing your roster, sick of player injuries ending your season. With Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For a limited time, you can join DraftKings' largest Best Ball contest ever and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished act now before this offer expires to start playing best ball download the DraftKings app using code pff enter DraftKings best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the rest of the season each week you'll automatically rack up points all from all your top scorers no ads drops or i should have played him instead teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the one million dollar top prize so what are you waiting for head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code pff and start playing best ball today join the DraftKings 10 million dollar best ball tournament and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars only on DraftKings with code pff gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER one per customer opt-in required with $10 entry fee bonus issued at 10 DraftKings dollars age and eligibility restrictions apply void where prohibited see DraftKings.com slash promotions for details all right let's get back to it here and cover the next couple rounds of ADP heading over to rounds six and seven where there are now three different options to choose from Kyle Pitts Darren Waller Dallas Goddard um, it's kind of a pick your poison here because these guys have noticed come off the board in different orders more than anyone else we've talked about so far. So far, this this isn't necessarily, you know, your last chance to add a, a true tight end one option, but should probably be considered your last shot to add one with a safer high end potential, I guess. Right. So, um, Nate, from this group, who who would you say has maybe the best shot to finish top two at their position this season or or are the odds close to even for all of them? Um, I'd say Kyle Pitts probably has the best odds from this group, but I think it's a similar thing where um, you have different risk tolerances and depending on that will probably determine which tight end out of this group you like the best. I think Pitts is most risky in that um, he's the youngest and like he didn't do as well last year as we expected. And then is coming off an injury and we know the Falcons offense has a lot of talented players and loves to run the ball. So volume could be an issue returning from injury could be an issue, but I think he also has the most upside of this group in that he's still very young for a tight end. Most tight ends, a lot, plenty of tight ends aren't in the league by the time that Pitts is is now so Pitts already has two years of NFL experience where some players might only have college experience at this point so I think Pitts is still definitely capable of eventually being that overall tight end one for a number of years it's just a matter of if he can get there this year so that's a big question for him where Darren Waller I think is in the middle in terms of how risky he is I know he's the earliest player of the three going in ESPN the last player of the three going in sleeper the praise for him during camp uh, has been huge. Basically, every day I'm hearing another good thing about Waller and how often they're targeting him. We know talent-wise he's up there. There were years where he was the number two tight end to Kelsey uh, back with the Raiders. It's just the injuries over the past two years and his age are the concern. But I think um, it sounds like everything is going well in terms of fitting into the offense to this point. So I think Waller, definitely a safer player to get in the top seven and definitely has that upside. I just don't think... He quite has that upside to be the overall tight end one where I could see Pitts if he makes that improvement could get there where I think Goddard is the safest of 
these players, I think it's pretty safe to say he'll finish somewhere in the five to seven range where I could see one of the other players dropping out. Goddard's a very talented player, gets plenty of receiving yards, gets plenty of receptions. Uh, Talent-wise is there. The only problem is we know he's in this Eagles offense where they love to run the ball, especially near the goal line. They have great wide receiver options. His ceiling's only so high just because there's so many good players in this offense. And Goddard's never really been someone to get a lot of touchdowns. And in order to reach tight end one overall, you need to have a lot of touchdowns. And I just don't see any reason to believe that he will get there this year in terms of the touchdown total. So I think he has that volume to be very safe here, but I don't think he's going to be among the top two or three fantasy tight ends because he doesn't have the touchdowns, which I will mention with all of this. um, Goddard can definitely get to tight end three if two or three of these tight ends get injured. So injury plays a huge factor in all of this. But in terms of looking at like fantasy points per game, I think Goddard won't get to those top two or three spots. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. And and me, honestly, I I love Goddard. I I'm probably a little bit more bullish on him. I, so for me, I, I feel like there's there's probably a case to, to be made for for each of these three tight ends to finish top two at their position. For Pitts, like you said, we know you know he's an exceptional talent. Can he get the quarterback play to to allow him to flourish and add more touchdowns regularly, uh, especially after showing off that kind of elite target rate and and receiving ability these past two seasons already in his career? Um, if Ritter and and the Falcons' offense can get back closer to average the season then it's definitely well within his range of outcomes for sure for Waller like you said just needs to stay healthy it's been a big issue for him these past few seasons but again another talented tight end and I alluded it alluded to it earlier but think he's that third tight end who has like a really great shot to lead his team in targets this season again if healthy and we talked about it a bit last week as well going over potential league winners and I do think Waller has that potential for where he's being drafted um, with with health being his biggest barrier at this stage of his career and then for me with Goddard you know he definitely has more competition on his team for targets but I think he offers a lot of the tools and and checks a lot of the necessary boxes to kind of get potentially into that top two range including that he's he's elite after the catch um, so that he could pad his receiving totals maximize his fantasy points per target Um, he's an elite separator consistently among the best in the league against man coverage as well Um, if he much like Kyle Pitts even can add more touchdowns to his production. Like you said, then it's well within, I think his, his range of outcomes to, to boost himself up the, the fantasy scoreboard. We, he did see a target rate over 21% in the red zone last year. And he actually had the second most amount of receptions that ended with him getting tackled inside the five yard line um, behind Travis Kelsey and tied, tied with Tyler Higby, who also had just three touchdowns on the year, like Dallas Goddard. So maybe, maybe, he could get a little bit of luck, especially with that after the catch ability. If he could push himself into the end zone a little bit more, if that target rate continues, right. And, and convert some of those, those high quality um, targets. Yeah. Hearing that, I don't think I've looked at this number before, but I'd be curious to look at this for Goddard or other numbers. So if we want to dig into it after the show, or if any of our listeners want to, but just looking at touchdowns per snap rather than per target once you get close to the red zone or end zone just because I know the Eagles love to run the ball once they get in that situation so it's not too surprising to me that he has a high target per route 
in the red zone when they're throwing the ball because that makes sense to throw to it when they are throwing the ball, but other teams love throwing the ball more in the red zone. So just being able to compare how much the Eagles like getting the ball to Goddard in the red zone compared to other players. And that's probably interesting to look at both for from a rushing perspective as well as those getting targets. So probably something that would be interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but I'm I'm willing to bet it was among the probably the lower range, at least for um for passing targets per per route run, right? So um I I I think I set the the minimum at like 10 snaps inside the the red zone or something like that. And he, he was among the top, at least for target rate. But yeah, there there's mm-hmm. probably probably on the low end as far as total targets. So just converting a lot more of his his opportunities um could be the key here, but just not getting a lot of overall opportunities, like you said. So yeah. But I agree with you. If he's stops getting tackled so much within the five <laughs> yard line and starts getting those plays, those couple extra yards, that could be a big factor as well with Goddard's production. Yeah, that's all it takes, right? Easy, easy peasy, no problem. Just stop getting tackled inside the five-yard line, and that's all we need. <laughs> so is this the range that you're typically looking to draft a tight end? I think for the most part, this has been, yeah, this has been the most common spot for me. Pitts, Waller, Goddard to have been probably my most targeted tight ends um, or most rostered tight ends at this point this season. Um, but typically don't get Kelsey uh in the first round I'm, I just haven't been drafting a lot at the sixth spot but um Andrews Kittle and and uh, Hawkinson are the ones that I usually end up passing on just to kind of come back to this range again so yeah this has been a pretty common group for me there and for me this is probably the second most popular range just because I don't want to miss out on any of these top seven so sometimes I'm taking that risk earlier but once we get to this point if I haven't picked a tight end yet, that I'm definitely picking one of these three. Nice. I like it. All right. Let's do one more ad read for today. And this one is from our friends at Manscaped. Uh, if you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming are making sure we have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bot. They have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Pete, beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. All right, back to the tight ends, heading into the eighth and ninth round of drafts uh, and rounding out the top 10 tight end options. Maybe not the sexiest names in, in Evan Ingram, Pat Fryermuth, D- David Njoku, but, but guys who showed off that top 10 tight end potential on plenty of occasions last season uh, and head into this year in, in very similar situations as to what they were in last year, which 
you would think would only help their chances of another strong season. So Nate, how comfortable are, are you going into this season with, with any of these guys as your top tight end option? Typically avoiding this group. If I don't end up with someone in the top seven, then I typically end up just waiting. It's something where I'm trying to get all of my starters to be players that I think at least have a chance to be among the top at the position. And I think tight ends, a position where if you compare how good someone is in real life and how good they are in fantasy, I think those correlate more with tight ends than any other position Uh, with running back. It's pretty easy to find cases where there's a really talented running back. Who's a backup and not seeing enough playing time or running back. Who's not very good, but the team starter and they have to give the ball to the running back a lot. And then even wide receiver, you see teams that don't have a great wide receiver, but still have someone who ends up being the number one guy. And that number one guy tends to be at least somewhat okay at fantasy, just because they have to give him that volume where they don't have to give that volume to a tight end. We see um, the Carolina Panthers these past couple of years, really not throwing the ball to the tight end that often. You see other teams that don't have great tight ends that don't throw to them that often. So the top eight tight ends over the past, uh, three years in PFF receiving grade are Kelsey, Kittle, Goddard, Andrews, Waller, Ronkowski, Pitts, and Hawkinson. So all the seven guys we just talked about, plus a retired Rob Gronkowski. Also looking at it from a fantasy perspective, these th- past three years, um, looking at tight ends who average at least 11.8 fantasy points per game or more, which is around the mark where the top five or so fantasy tight ends are getting to, And 15 of those 16 seasons came from those eight guys I just mentioned. So you're not likely to find someone who's going to reach that top top five mark unless you're drafting one of these players. Uh, Dalton Schultz in 2021 was the one exception in the Cowboys offense where he scored a ton of touchdowns and also had volume. So there was one exception, but for the most part, it's been these more talented tight ends that are getting the targets. Um, so when you look at these three tight ends, Evan Ingram, Pat Fryermuth, and David Nujoku, I think they're all probably decently safe bets to get in the top 12 or so fantasy tight ends this year. But all of them are um, in their later 20s, so at an age where you're probably not expecting them to improve too much. Uh, Fryermuth's the exception. He's a little younger. But you also see a little bit more competition for targets for all of these players this year. Uh, Fryermuth in Pittsburgh, they added another tight end. And his big problem is they like to rotate their tight ends more than most of these teams. So he's just not on the field enough to get the volume as some of these other tight ends where um, in Jacksonville with Evan Ingram, they added Calvin Ridley, who should be the new leader in targets, which will probably lead to a little bit fewer targets for everyone. Um, also added another running back, so they could be running the ball more this year. And then uh, similarly, David Njoku, um, they added Jordan Akins as a backup tight end, who he's been fairly good at receiving on a per-play basis. You're not adding him to really be a blocker for you, so if anything, he's going to see some pass plays and added a little bit more to the passing game as well at wide receiver. So Um, I think all of them should see the volume and are good enough to be fantasy starters. But if I don't end up with one of these top seven tight ends, I'd rather be waiting longer and taking some more risk later. Yeah. Like with the, with that last group kind of being like a pretty common group for me to target this, this is one that I don't 
see a lot of exposure to just because I'm not drafting tight ends in, in back-to-back rounds or within two rounds of each other for the most part. Um, it, it is a group like if I, if I, you know, do that risk where I'm waiting and, and I end up missing on those other three guys, Pitts, Goddard, Waller, um, then this is the group that I, I absolutely have to attack. And, and, you know, to be fair, like each of these guys, they had at least six top 10 finishes last season. Um, and Joku, I think, had the fewest with, with exactly six, but he also missed three games. Um, Engram posted seven with five of them coming in the second half of last season. So really started to maybe get into a groove with Trevor Lawrence late. Um, and then Fryermouth, you know, had the most top 10 finishes with eight, even missing a game last season. And, and despite scoring just two touchdowns on the year. So I think there's you could find reasons to be optimistic about these guys. If, if you do end up with one of them as your tight end and hopefully they, they can outperform ADP probably wouldn't be all three of them. There's just too many things that need to work in their favor for that to happen. But one could um, just, just don't ask me which one exactly, because they're all fairly long shots. Um, But that being said, you know, we're taking these guys now inside the top, 100 players in drafts for the most part, or, or really close to it. Um, so interesting stat every season since 2013, we've actually had more than 10 tight ends finish inside the top 100 fantasy scores among skill position players. So we're looking pretty good as far as value in this range with these guys, maybe being the best remaining bets to, to get inside of that top 100 um, might even be a couple more considering that, that history of tight end production, we had 13 tight ends inside the top 100 flex players last year uh, and 15 in each of the two seasons prior to that. So on the fringes of the, the top 100 skill players, players here, I, I kind of like these guys for their value for sure. I just don't typically end up with a lot of them because I'm targeting the the tier before them um, in, in most drafts. But otherwise, if if I don't have a tight end at this point, I feel okay about, about this position. And hopefully um, my other positions that I've targeted early have, are, are going to pull through and, and turn out okay. Otherwise, this could really hurt me. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'd say they're all yeah. like relatively safe to get that mm-hmm. top 12. It's just... I'd rather have guys who give me a chance to win a championship, and I don't feel like these three are going to be on many teams that win fantasy championships this year. So if I'm not getting a top seven, I'd rather wait and take one or two of the guys that we're about to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the right way to kind of look at it. And yeah, let's let's close things out in that sleeper range now. So so round 10 and beyond that is, um, I just mentioned it, but but history will tell us that we could see anywhere from maybe one to five more tight ends finish inside that top 100 skill players in PPR. Obviously, our first 10 guys mentioned have the best shot, but with round 10 starting at pick 120 here, we could potentially be hitting on some great value options, even when considering quarterbacks in the mix, um, because we aren't seeing 20 quarterbacks go in the first 10 rounds outside of super flex leagues. So, Nate, if you had to pick a, a few sleeper options at the tight end position uh, to finish inside the top 100 fantasy scores this year, who are you going with and what's like a comfortable range that you'll draft them? So first off, I'll go with someone who's not really a sleeper, but a part of the reason why I'm not drafting one of the earlier tight ends, and that's Tyler Higby of the Rams. We He's another veteran player who we've seen exactly who he is, what he can do. He's consistently scoring between eight and a half and 10 and a half fantasy points per game. He's been doing that for several years, has consistently been gaining at least 500 receiving yards. And he's with the Rams offense that doesn't have as many good wide receivers as they've had in past years. So 
I think he is very safe to finish second on the team in targets. They also, uh, with Cam Akers at running back, not much of a receiving option. So really his competition is Cooper Cup, who will see at least 30% of targets or somewhere in that range based on how good everyone else is in that offense. But those other passes that aren't going to Cup have to go somewhere. So I think Higby's by far the safest option of guys going in the 10th round or later. So definitely happy to get Higby and wait a couple rounds for Higby rather than draft one of those tight ends that we were just talking about. But when I'm doing that, I want to pair him with one of these high upside sleepers that more fit the sleeper term. And we've talked about Chigazim Okonkwo a ton of times on this podcast. He's probably at the top of my list of players that I'm considering. Um, Dalton Kincaid is also up there with the Bills. Uh, We've talked about him plenty of I believe he'll be their slot receiver and he should be viewed more as a wide receiver than a tight end, but you get to play him at tight end. And then Greg Dolchitz is the other option in Denver. Uh, Just having some more hype about him on training camp to this point um, with the wide receiver injuries they've had recently, that just helps his ability to gain more targets. So I think all three of them, there's definitely a chance that they could be outside of the top 20 fantasy tight ends this year. But I think those are the three that have the best shot of maybe getting in that top seven range in fantasy points per game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that those are good names and similar to the ones that I have. I mean, I like the Higby call as well, right? It only takes a few more touchdowns out of him because like you said, he's already been, he's been solid as far as points per game go. If he could start adding a few more touchdowns to his totals, that could really help him. Um, Chig, definitely. I feel like, yeah, like you said, we talked about him a lot, but there's, there's upside to, to be excited about there. Assuming he could see a larger workload and the take, Titans take advantage of his skill set. Um, I like Kincaid. I like Sam Laporta, even as a rookie tight end, who we talked about uh, last episode as well. Um, but I'm with you. Yeah, Greg Dolchich was the other name that that I also noted for myself as well. Um, going in these this you know tight end 12 to 15 range, who who could be in for a potential breakout um, season this year, coming off a strong showing in the back half of his rookie season last year, uh, from week six to 16, he didn't play the final two weeks because of a hamstring injury. Uh, he posted the six most receiving yards at the tight end position, ranked top 10 in PPR points, total targets, receiving first downs, explosive plays and average depth of target during that span. I think we could see him get more involved this year. Like you said, because of the injuries at the Denver, um, wide receiver position, but also just as he becomes a bigger part of the 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 offense in year two um i think he could definitely push for that top 100 spot as well i'd add a dalton schultz to this list a dalton schultz is someone that i've typically viewed him in those group of tight ends that we were talking about earlier with ingram and Fryermuth and nujoku um a veteran tight end that we kind of know what he can do he did reach that those heights in 2021 I don't think the 2023 Texans are going to be quite as good as those 2021 Cowboys, but um, he's one of the tight ends that if you're looking at who could potentially lead their team in targets, um, the guys that we talked about earlier, definitely more likely to lead their tight end, their teams in targets. But I think Schultz at least has a chance with Houston um, coming from the 40 former 49ers coaching staff who knew how to use Kittle so well, and they invested a decent amount of money in Schultz compared to all these wide receivers that they've added. So I think Schultz at least has a chance to lead his team in targets, but I don't think he'll be scoring too many touchdowns in that Texans offense. And the upside is a little limited, but if he starts falling, he's someone that I'm definitely okay picking up and getting him ahead of someone like Tyler Higby, even though Higby can be had a couple rounds later. But even if I'm drafting Schultz, I'm trying to get one of these younger, high upside players. 
as well. Definitely. All right. That is going to do it for another episode of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Always fun getting to talk some of our thoughts and strategies as to how we're approaching fantasy drafts this season, especially in the thick of fantasy draft season. So hope you all enjoyed that. And and speaking of drafts, let's uh, close things out with one of our own head-to-head rando draft mega battles between Nate and I. Nate, you won the the last draft, picking the best month for sports. Um, pretty much sealed it with the first pick there, grabbing October. So uh, now I have the first pick. We're going to be drafting uh, the best movie trilogies of all time. I, I got a bit more picky with this one than I usually am, just because I think there's there's a lot of options that could be considered trilogies, but they also added more versions of later on down the road. So I was slightly more strict with myself, at least for what should be considered a trilogy. Um, how about you? What, what was your thinking with this one? Uh, yeah, mine, uh, I think it was pretty safe. Yeah. Some of these movies have a fourth movie or a fifth movie, but I pretty much always stuck with the first three that were made. And then um, it was really a mix of how much Marvel do I want to draft compared to non-Marvel movies. And there's so many Marvel trilogies at this point, but when you look up the best trilogies of all time, a lot of the times the MCU is excluded from those lists. Yeah, which is a bunch of crap because there's there's some great, great Marvel trilogies in there. And I, yeah, I definitely have a few on my list. So it'll be interesting to see how we'll do uh, with that one. But um, I'll start things off here with my first pick. Um, I, I'm going to go the the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, episode four, five, and six, as, as they're known. Um, I just feel like, you know, from start to finish, as much as Return of the Jedi is not the strongest of movies overall, I do feel like it's a it's a decent ending. It's not a terrible movie. So the the first two at least are are really high end, and then we got a decent third one. So Star Wars, it's a classic. I, I got to put that in there. I'd be, um, I think it'd be a mistake not to put that as my first pick. Yeah, that's solid pick. That's what I had first overall. Um, that and one other were the ones that I thought what which movies would I randomly just choose to watch all of the trilogy in one day, or at least have it on in the background. So the other one I'm going to go with is Christopher Nolan's dark Knight trilogy. Um, <laughs> glad to get that after seeing your reaction as well, <laughs> but um, just with how good Christopher Nolan movies are with Oppenheimer, which I just saw a week or so ago. So had those fresh in my mind as well. Um, usually I'm not going to see myself drafting too much DC stuff, whenever we do these drafts but if there's any time to get anything from dc it's getting this dark knight trilogy that's brutal that is just brutal that that was my second one i really didn't i i was trying to think of where you might go and i i thought for sure i'd be able to get the dark knight trilogy as well, my if you second went dark pick. knight i would have gone star wars so okay <laughs> yeah oh man that sucks well the great pick obviously um all right so you know what? Now I'm all I'm on tilt here. We're gonna go with I'm gonna go into the the MCU right away. Um, and I am going to take the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. Um, to me, just honestly, I think it's perfect from from movie one to movie three. I I think there's a case. This is maybe a hot take, but I think there's a case to be made that it could be even better than the original Star Wars trilogy. Maybe that's recency bias. I don't know. I have to watch them over and over again like i do with star wars to see if they hold up for as many rewatches but man i just enjoy it so much it's just uh yeah perfect movie trilogy for me 
that's fair. I can't fault you for picking that one. I definitely had them on my list as well. And I think the best MCU trilogy, you can really get into an argument of which one should be on top. So I was kind of glad they're happy to let those slide a little bit just because I'm like, well, if I don't get this, I can get that and still yeah. be happy with it. Um, With my second pick, I think I'm going to go with the Lord of the Rings. Just I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings a decent amount, but whenever I did my research, they were typically at the top of any list that I could find. So I'm going to pander a little bit to the audience and hope that the people who make the list are similar to the people who vote on these things. But I tried to keep it to trilogies that I've watched when picking them, and I've definitely watched it and enjoyed it. So I'm going to go Lord of the Rings with my second pick. Yeah, th th this was the one I was hoping you'd put as like your first pick so that I could get the Dark Knight trilogy because I, I I haven't made it through the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. I just I've tried twice and like 10 years apart and each time I get halfway through the second one and I, I just can't keep going. But typically I, I would love these type of movies, but for some reason I just Lord of the Rings just doesn't speak to me. So I I, I didn't put it on my list, but I was hoping that you would take it at number one. Yeah. But unfortunately, well, we don't have enough time for you to take off in order to watch all of them at any yeah. point over these <laughs> next couple months so maybe after the season you'll find enough time to get all three of them together yeah yeah we'll see um uh, all right so for my next one i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with the back to the future trilogy um for my third pick so i actually really like uh, even the third one for some reason like i think i just really liked it more as a kid i know it's not the greatest but the first two at least were really fun um the first ones yeah the first one's obviously the best but i think um that back to the future trilogy still pretty much holds up uh across the board so i i'll put that as my uh as my third yeah that's solid pick but I am glad this fell to me in the third round. I'm going with the Godfather trilogy mm -hmm. since the first two are so good. And there's apparently a third one that makes it a trilogy. But I think you have to do some sort of weighting of how good the various movies are since, yeah, you could only pick trilogies where all three of them are good. But when you have two that are as good as the first two Godfather movies are, I'm fine letting the third one make this fly to the third round rather than making it a first round pick. It, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the one that I was like, man, the third one, I just I can't stand it. But I love the first two a lot. So it's 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 hard. But yeah, it was definitely on my list. Um, I probably shouldn't have let it slide. But here we are. Um, all right. My next one, I'm going to go with uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, that not not the newest ones, uh, of course, I I can't bring myself to watch those ones but the first three at least um raiders of the lost ark and and temple of doom and and uh last crusade those are the ones that uh that stand out as as a trilogy for me and i think those are still great so put indiana jones in there for me um you have left a lot of marvel options for me i wasn't I prepared to have this much marvel <laughs> this late to get to choose from so i think i'm gonna take the one that stands out the most to me and that's the toby Maguire spider-man movies just because it's kind of hard with all of the other mcu movies and that yeah there's a trilogy of movies but in order to get the full picture you probably have to add in some avengers movies in there to add to it so even though the guardians of the galaxy itself is a pretty well-contained three-part series and it's nice that you don't really need much of the other mcu in order to enjoy those three back to back but there's still the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame that I feel like I need to watch in order to get the full Guardians of the Galaxy and the rest of the MCU. It's even worse of needing to watch other stuff in order to get the full character story arc over several movies where 
the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies are at least self-contained. And yeah, there's probably other superhero movies that have had better trilogies more recently, but for its time. And a lot of these, you kind of have to compare those movies to what was being done at the time. So, and the movies still stand up decently well regardless. So going with Spider-Man for my fourth pick. Good call. Good call. Yeah. That's just, yeah. The, again, the third one for that movie is just, it's so bad. That's why <laughs> it was lower on the list for me. I, I couldn't stand yeah. the third one. Um, but all right, let's go for my last pick. Oh man. It's between Marvel. I'm going to go Die Hard. I, I'm going to put the Die Hard trilogy in there for me. I love um, Bruce Willis's Die Hard. The original ones again, well, there's the third one comes a little bit later, but uh, yeah, Die Hard 1, 2, and 3 for me. I know they made later ones, but not going to include those in the original trilogy here. So break my rule a little bit. <laughs> there. So um, since you only stuck with the Marvel thing, I think I'm going to stick with just one Marvel thing. Plus, I already have another superhero thing. I think I'm going to go Toy Story for my last one. I think Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. Like, I think when you watch a fourth movie and then after watching the fourth movie, really wish they would have stuck with just having three. That's when you know you have a good trilogy. So for me, that was my experience watching Toy Story 3, thinking this was a perfect ending to the trilogy and then watching Toy Story 4. And I'm like, why did they do that when Toy Story 3 was such a good ending? I think that's a good sign of a good trilogy. So I'm getting Toy Story with my last pick. <laughs> nice. Good call. Yeah. I, I think they're even, I thought I saw something. They're making like a fifth one yeah. as well. So they're just, yeah, pumping yeah. those things out, man, to bring in the money. But <laughs> yeah. that, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what do we got here? I got Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, and Die Hard. And you have the Dark Knight trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Godfather, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, and the Toy Story one to three. So Good list. We'll put it out there again. Um, we'll see what uh, what happens. We never know how these votes are going to go, but that is going to do it. So thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thanks to Nate for doing this with me. Nate, as always, you have a ton of great content up on the website this week. Please let the people know what they can find from you over on pff.com. Sure, this is the segment where I try to remember everything I wrote because I definitely forgot at least one of my articles last time. Um, so Monday which went up was my best ball rankings update, my perfect draft strategy 3.0 for 12 team leagues using my up-to-date rankings and up-to-date ADP, which changes the strategy a bit all the time. So that's why I update those so frequently. Uh, two player profiles went up today. I'll have at least one player profile going up every day the rest of the week um, when I can trying to get two of them up. Um, similar to what we did today, going through tight end strategy and what we thought I wrote about tight ends last Friday, we'll continue with quarterbacks and wide receivers this week, uh, talking about breakout running backs and some other position this week with the other two coming next week, uh, update to my position ranking articles every day this week. And then we have more preseason games on Thursday. So I'll continue having my preseason recaps for every game that happens. And hopefully we have at least a couple of starters playing in some of these games. So it can be more interesting than the hall of fame game. Yeah, let's hope so. I saw just before we, we came on CJ Stroud is expected to start uh, on Thursday for mm -hmm. the Texans. So that could be fun. Um, nice. Yeah, definitely lots to check out there. As for me, I got my 
I'm putting up dark horse candidates to finish as the RB one this year, as well as dark horse candidates to finish as QB one, continuing the dark horse stuff into IDP content as well. Have a draft strategy piece later in the week, looking at the, the kind of robust running back approach. So starting running back, running back, running back in drafts this year and what that could look like. Um, also a reminder again, to subscribe to the PFF fantasy YouTube channel and PFF fantasy discord. Be sure to utilize the PFF fantasy mock draft simulator as well for free up on the website and also enter your league fantasy punishments to potentially win tickets to a Sunday night football game of your choice and a lifetime of PFF plus as well. So all of that stuff can be found on pff.com. We will be back later this week with another episode. So until then, peace out.